mist, mist coming in, like something is brewing, about to begin. Can't put my finger on what lies in store, but I feel what's to happen, or happened before. Hello and welcome to Two True Freaks. Whether this is your first time tuning in or your 100th, I want to thank you for downloading this episode and I hope you enjoy the show. My name is Scott Gardner and this is going to be my first impressions review of the new film Saving Mr. Banks. I actually got to see this movie last Friday on the 13th as part of a special preview put on by the Disney Parks blog. There was just a little contest that they held on their site. And you could go and you could sign up for it. It was a very uh, limited amount of space and the, the window was not open for very long. And I just happened to luck into it and won a, a spot in the preview. It was actually called the Practically Perfect Preview, which I thought was, uh, was very neat. And one of space could take one guest with me. And of course, I took my wife with me. She is a huge Mary Poppins fan. We've both been looking forward to this movie for quite some time. So we were very, very excited about this. So on last Friday, we decided, well, we would go to Walt Disney World and we'd kind of make a day of it together. So we spent the early part of our day. We went bright and early and we spent the early part of our day and we uh, kind of went all over property, but spent most of it um, in World Showcase at Epcot. And something we have been wanting to do for years is to just go and uh, they hold something there called Holidays Around the World. Now, if you know anything about Epcot, know anything about World Showcase, World Showcase is uh, it features 11 nations from around the world and each one of them has uh, pavilions. And they range from you know Mexico, Norway, the United States, the United Kingdom, France, Germany, Italy, um, and several other countries. And the Holidays Around the World event is actually where they come out, a storyteller will come out and actually tell you a little bit about how that particular country celebrates Christmas or the holidays. And we've been wanting to do this for years, as I said, but had just, for whatever reason, had just never made the time. But this year I was determined I wanted to get out and I wanted to try to do as many of them as possible. And we did several of them, and the ones that really stood out to us, the ones that we really, really enjoyed a lot, was um, the United Kingdom. Uh, Father Christmas came out, looked great. I mean, he looked very much like a classic Santa, except where the um, American Santa is more uh, red with you know the white trim and that sort of thing. Uh, this Father Christmas, again, looking very Santa-ish in the fact that he was big barrel-chested guy and all that with the white beard, but um, green as opposed to uh, red and green and more of a, of a robe uh, with white, uh, you know, white cuffs and a white collar and that sort of thing. Really good-looking uh, uh, Santa figure, though, you know, he, Father Christmas and had, uh, so far as I could tell, he was authentically British, which I thought was very interesting. And he, he just told a lot of tales about uh, Christmas in the uh, United Kingdom. That was a lot of fun, and we moved along. We did a couple other ones, and the other one that really uh, stood out to us was uh, Père Noël in the France Pavilion. And this one, again, looks very much like a classic Santa, except, again, as uh, you know, the American Santa is more 
uh, jacket, pants, boots. This one, again, was a robe. He was red um, from head to toe you know, with the white highlights, but again, a robe as opposed to uh, a pants and suit combination and very, very skinny. You know, skinny is a rail, really, which is funny for us as Americans to see uh, because, you know, we're used to a, a short, fat Santa, but uh, just a lot of fun, a really good time, and we enjoyed that very much. And, uh, of course, we uh, tried some different things from uh, around World Showcase, as we always do. And this time I happened to find there's a, uh, an ice cream shop in France that, for some reason, we'd never stumbled across before. And, well, they were advertising this time, too. They had something in one of the, uh, the brochures about gingerbread ice cream at this uh, particular ice cream shop. And... If you know me, you know there's one thing that uh, I have an incredible weakness for, and that is gingerbread. Now, earlier in the day, my wife and I had actually stopped over to the Grand Floridian Resort. And we uh, every year at the Grand Floridian, which is, you know, it, it, again, if, I always assume folks know a lot more about Walt Disney World than maybe some folks do, so uh, I'll slow the story down a little bit. The Grand Floridian is the flagship resort for Walt Disney World. Um, if you've ever seen pictures of Walt Disney World, it's it's the big fancy hotel with you know the white trim and the red roof and just gorgeous uh, turn of the century style and uh, just a, an incredible incredible hotel. And every year they construct a gingerbread house over there, full size gingerbread house within the lobby of the Grand Floridian. It gives you an idea of the size of the place and the entire. Uh, Outside of the gingerbread house is real, authentic gingerbread. The shingles, the roof, everything. And it's all perfectly edible. Now, you can't come along and just snag a piece off and eat it. But inside of the gingerbread house, they actually sell authentic gingerbread, the same gingerbread that was used in the construction of the gingerbread house. And every year, I go over and I allow myself, you know, this, this one time of year to uh to just kind of get something for myself over there and i get a gingerbread shingle every year so this year you know, it was no exception my wife treated me this time we went together and took our pictures and everything and she got me uh, a gingerbread shingle and that was just awesome but then when we got to epcot and, and she saw it advertised uh i think it was in the park map or the times guide or something that there was gingerbread ice cream i was just like ah oh gotta try that and it was incredible it was really spicy which uh which i liked i wasn't expecting but it was really really good anyway we uh we spent our day there and then uh, as evening was approaching uh you know we had our instructions on exactly where we had to be and what time we had to be there sort of thing for the the movie premiere and the movie premiere was held um, in Disney's Hollywood Studios, not far from Epcot. And the two resorts are, are connected by a waterway and a, and a boat system. So we took the boat from Epcot over to Hollywood Studios. Now, right now, being the holiday season, they're holding the Osborne Spectacle of Dancing Lights. Again, if you don't know anything about Walt Disney World or Disney's Hollywood Studios, this is something that if you ever get the opportunity, don't miss it. It's absolutely incredible where they take um, a section of the park called the Streets of America and they deck it all out with lights, with Christmas lights, over five million lights. 
and they have them synchronized to different uh, songs, different Christmas uh, pieces of music, and periodically throughout the night, suddenly the lights will dance to this music. And uh, it's just, to describe it, it just, I don't have the words. You have to go and you have to see it. It's just absolutely incredible. And again, this is one of our Christmas traditions. We go and we do this every year, and this was our opportunity to do this in conjunction with going to the movie premiere. So we were really in a, in a good and festive mood by the time it got to be time for the movie premiere. So for the movie premiere, we had to make our way back to the front of the park, and we had to check in by, uh, by 8 p.m. Um, when the park was actually closing. So we went up there, we got all checked in, and the venue for the movie itself for the premiere itself was at the premiere theater which is in again disney's hollywood studios now i'm ashamed to admit it but i had to look this up i'm like premiere theater where's the premiere theater i just didn't recognize the name turns out in my mind premiere theater is what i will always think of as clone wars theater because if you've ever been to star wars weekends at disney's hollywood studios this is typically where they would have anything to do with the Clone Wars as far as um, a stage show or some of the different things they put on. I know in the, in the past couple of years, this is where James Arnold Taylor uh, has done his one-man show or they've done the, uh, I'm trying to think of what it was called, something like Stars of the Force or something to that effect. It, you know, it's a, it's a theater show, but it's with... Um, different voice actors or different stars from the saga of the Star Wars films, particularly Clone Wars, the last few years. So again, if you've ever been there, it, it's that theater. It's uh, directly across from the exit of Muppet Vision 3D, so that'll give you a little bit of uh, of a mental picture of where this is if you've ever been there, right near the uh, Phineas, what is currently the Phineas and Ferb meet and greet. So the movie uh, actually started at 9 o'clock, and it was really interesting that they were making quite a big deal of, about this because there was a, a live film crew there um, doing interviews and such. I tried my best to get an interview, but I'm not sure what they were looking for. Probably a particular look, I would imagine. And, you know, my wife and I, we were just, you know, we were in jeans and, and T-shirt. We were very, very casual. You know, we'd been touristy all day and... Um, just simply by being out and about in the parks all day in the sun and everything, I'm, I'm sure we <laughs> weren't uh, exactly what they were looking for. And some folks came and were really decked out. You know, they, they had really dressed up for the event. There were a number of folks in authentic, um, like authentic 60s look. Um, there were a couple of ladies in particular that looked like they could have been extras in this movie that we were about to see. Um, beehive hairdos and, uh, and 60s dresses and 60s shoes and really looking the part and there was even a couple there that was uh, the, the fellow was in a tuxedo and tie and she was in a real fancy sparkly dress so some people really really were decked out for this and then you know there were a lot of folks too that were just like us you know jeans and t-shirt type of thing so it ran kind of the gamut. And I wasn't sure what they were looking for in interviews, but like I said, I tried to, tried to get on camera for an interview, um, but never did. Hopefully, uh, maybe one of the both of us will wind up in some of the, the pictures, because I know they took a whole lot of pictures of you know crowd shots and reaction shots and all kinds of different things. So 
Um, still waiting as of this recording for the story of the premiere to show up on the Disney Parks blog site. I haven't seen it yet, but I know that the Disneyland version that they did uh, recently showed up on there. There was lots of pictures of that. So I don't know, keep watching the uh, Two True Freaks Facebook uh, group and when and if uh, some, some, you know, some pictures of that stuff shows up and we happen to be in the pictures, you know, that, uh, I'll be making a big deal about that. So anyway, the, uh, the premiere theater is where we went for, uh, you know, for the premiere itself. And there were real pros and cons to this because, well, for one, I was very familiar with that venue and I thought, well, this would be really cool. And it, and it was, and probably the coolest thing beyond, you know, the, uh, the cameras and the lights and, just the the spectacle that it felt like it was for this premiere was free concessions. Now, this shocked me because, again, if you've ever been to Walt Disney World, you know there's really not very much that's free. And here they had, you know, they had uh, popcorn makers and they were passing out, you know, free boxes of popcorn, you know, as much as you wanted, uh, free soda and, you know, Cokes and stuff, which... uh, again, completely blew me away because, you know, you're looking at normally a Coke in the parks is, I'm not even sure these days, like 350 or something, you know, totally free concessions. I thought that was really, really cool. But the venue itself, as far as sitting through uh, a couple hour movie, um, turned out to be something of a mixed blessing because for one, it's really cramped. It's meant to be short shows. You know, you go in and you see a, oh, I'm trying to think of how long the the Clone Wars things were when we would go watch them, I'd say maybe 30, 40 minutes at most, something like that. And, and in this case, you were sitting through an entire feature length movie and it's just, I don't know, maybe we've become spoiled because the movies, uh, movie theaters that we'll typically go to now, you know, it's stadium seating, there's drink holders in each of the armrests, there's armrests, you know, for your individual seat not so much in the premier theater. You're pretty much right up on the person next to you that you're that you're sitting next to and uh it, yeah, it was a little cramped and it was a little hot too until they finally turned the uh the air on in there, which was weird because outside it was uh it was pretty brisk, but inside the theater because there were so many people in such a small space, it got really hot and uncomfortable pretty quick. Uh like I say until they turned the uh the air on in there. But you know, again, this was a free event and a free venue and free concessions and all that. So the last thing we were going to do was complain about anything. But there was one other downside, at least for me personally. Now, I went to this uh, premiere and uh, and I've been fighting a cold for, for quite some time going into this. So some of this could have been me, but I noticed that the sound in the movie seemed muddy in a lot of spots and... There's a, a significant amount of the film that takes place um, as a flashback to um, the character of, of P.L. Travers, to her childhood in Australia. And in those scenes, everyone speaks with an accent. And now I work with you know a lot of Brits, a lot of Australians, um, a lot of foreign folks, or you know folks from outside the United States. So I'm used to. Um, accents so i think it had something to do with the actual venue we were in watching this movie i'm not sure that they're set up for you know whatever the latest theatrical sound is you know dolby digital 5.1 or whatever it is 
and I found that a lot of the dialogue, um, at least to my ear, was a little muddy, and I had a lot of trouble following particular things that were said. And there were some times where the sound mix didn't sound quite right, like the the score was actually um, overpowering some of the spoken dialogue. And again, you get that sometimes when you're watching uh, a modern film in other than optimal sound settings. And so I'm pretty sure it was the venue, not the film. And again, because of the cold and the stuffiness in my ears and all, I'll even chalk a certain bit of it you know, up to me personally. But uh, if anyone else experiences that when you see the film, and I do highly encourage you to see the film, report back on that. I'd be very curious to know if anybody else uh, finds that to be the case with the, with the film, if they see it you know, in an actual movie theater. <clears throat> Which brings me around to the film itself. Um, I really really enjoyed this movie now i know that there's probably a certain contingent of you know people that know me and listen to two true freaks on a regular basis that'll probably be like well duh of course you like the movie you know now again for those that may be tuning into the for the first time or don't know me personally uh through listening to the show or or just knowing me personally i'm actually a cast member for the walt disney world organization um so Again, I, I don't want to seem by saying, you know, I really enjoyed this movie, like, I, I don't want that casually brushed aside, well, well, of course you did. Because I went into the movie much like I would go into, um, say, a genre movie, being a comic book fan, with a critical eye. I, I went in thinking, you know, not that, well, I'm going to hate this movie or anything like that. I went into it with an eye for, are they going to get certain beats right? Is the feel going to be right? that sort of thing. Now, I expected to enjoy the movie, don't get me wrong. I expected that I would I would really uh, get a lot out of it. But I wasn't prepared for the kind of movie it really is. I think the trailers are a little misleading with this movie because this is not exactly what I was expecting out of this movie. The, the trailers, to me, the Disney element of the movie aside, I think the trailers for this movie feel very much like... Um, how do I want to put this? I, I, I'm tempted to say like a standard Tom Hanks romantic comedy or or dramatic comedy. Um, if that doesn't sound like um, like a disparaging remark, uh, like if you ever saw the trailers for say, um, oh that movie he was in with Leonardo DiCaprio, Catch Me If You Can, or the one where he was stuck in the airport. Um, there's a certain feel to the trailers of a fairly standard Tom Hanks movie. And so I kind of went into this thinking, I mean, I knew what the story was. And, and just to give you a little bit of background on it, here's the basic story of this movie. This is a story that basically takes place over about a two-week period where P.L. Travers, the author of the novel Mary Poppins, now she had been romanced and I say that in air quote, romanced by Walt Disney for a period of something like 20 years um, prior to where the film begins. Uh, Walt Disney wanted to make Mary Poppins into uh, a motion picture and had been trying to secure the rights to do so from Travers for 20 years. As the film starts, Travers has has fallen on hard times. For whatever reason, she's broke. She's penniless. And her agent has kind of set this whole thing up for 
a meeting with Disney to try to work things out because he knows she needs the money. He's trying to explain to her, look, you'll have creative control over this thing. Go talk to the man. Try to work something out because, frankly, you need the money. So that's basically the setup for the picture. She comes to the Disney Studios out in California, meets with Walt, meets with the creative team behind the movie, and... From there, that's where a lot of the both comedy and the tension of the movie come from uh, is the fact that she play, very much plays the antagonist. She uh, she really doesn't want to play ball. She kind of feels roped into this whole thing. And so in a lot of ways, she's it seems like she's actively trying to scuttle the entire project. Disney, Walt, Disney the man actually catches on to this at one point and so it becomes this story of the of the two of them um kind of finding a middle ground so to speak and how eventually the movie mary poppins what did eventually come to the screen that's a very simplified version of what the movie is about now the thing that impressed me the most with this, the, the thing that just really completely blew my socks off, was Tom Hanks's performance. Now, I like Tom Hanks anyway, so I mean, that, you know, that was almost, almost a given going right into this movie. I've long been impressed with Tom Hanks, um, right from... The first thing I ever really saw him in was Splash, which was what I imagine a lot of people was probably their first exposure to him as well. It's, it, that's the film that kind of put him on the map. Now, he'd, had, he'd done other things before then. Um, probably the biggest thing was he was on TV for a while. He did that show, uh, Bosom Buddies. But Splash, the first Touchstone film, which again, Touchstone, uh, a division of the, the Disney company, they're one of their live action film divisions, um, Splash really put him on the map. And again, if you've never seen Splash, gotta see it. It's a great movie. Fantastic movie. Still holds up in incredibly well all these years later. I just saw it again recently, and I'm like, wow, that's still a fantastic movie. And also, that was what I pointed to when uh, when Hanks was first cast as Disney for this film, and people were like, Tom Hanks playing what? What connection does he have? And I was like, you're kidding, right? I mean... Walt Disney made Tom Hanks, so I think it's neat. I think it's all cyclical, and it's really cool. Plus, it's neat for me, personally, that Hanks has already played another hero of mine. He played Jim Lovell in Apollo 13, one of my favorite films, and one of my favorite astronauts. So, it, you know, it, it's all very cyclical for me. Now, here's the thing. Tom Hanks doesn't sound like Walt Disney in this movie. I think he's trying. He has the inflections right. He has the, the the tone and the mannerism right. But audibly, he does not sound like Walt Disney, um, despite whatever, you know, however he's trying to do that. But he unerringly, unerringly brings a very real, believable, and human Walt Disney to the screen. This is not Walt Disney corporate logo. This is not Walt Disney historical icon. This is not Walt Disney some, um, you know, something that had to go through some approval process of, no, we can't show that, we can't do this. No, this is Walt Disney 
living, breathing, real human being as I imagined the guy really was. And I was really was not expecting that. I really expected Uncle Walt from the old Disneyland TV show. And he's not that in this movie. He swears, he smokes, he gets angry, he gets indignant, he has foibles, and he's very complex, he has a, a real depth to him. He's just plain real. Tom Hanks has brought Walt Disney back to life for this picture. It, it really feels like... It feels more documentary than anything. Well, no, I don't want to say that exactly because then it makes documentary to me has almost a negative connotation. Then it makes it sound boring, like it's some sort of archival footage. It's not. It's a very engaging movie. It's funny, um, which is again, that's one of the impressions that the trailer makes. Is that I, I, to me the again the trailers I think feel very much like almost like romantic comedy or or dramatic comedy. It is very funny in a lot of instances. But it's also very dramatic. There's a lot of tension. There's moments that are can make you very uncomfortable. And at the end of the day, it's a sad movie. It's not exactly the feel-good movie of the year. This is not a Disney movie that you're going to walk out of... Um, you know, skipping and clicking your heels together, it's one that sticks with you for a while and really makes you think about things. Um, probably the best comparison that I can pull for this movie, and, and it hit me right away because there's scenes in the movie that reminded me strongly of this other movie, would be Driving Miss Daisy, which may seem like a very strange movie to, to parallel it with, but there's a lot of strong parallels, I think, because the, the character of P.L. Travers, who, again, this was a real person. She's a lot like Miss Daisy from Driving Miss Daisy. She's she's very rigid in her thinking. She's very, um, she's a prickly pear. But as you get to know her and understand her, you come to see that, you know, there's an actual human being there that, that has, you know, their own level of complexity and a, and a backstory and a reason for why they are who they are and the way that they're acting the way that they are. Emma Thompson's not an actress that I'm very familiar with, but I think she's wonderful in this role. I really enjoyed her performance, and thank God, for whatever reason that they couldn't get her, that they couldn't get Meryl Streep, who I just recently read was, that's who they wanted, that's who they were trying to get. Now, she might have been great, but personally, I can't stand Meryl Streep, so I'm really glad that's not who they got. It's funny because Meryl Streep probably would be a really good um, P.L. Travers, but Emma Thompson, she's just fantastic for this. Um, she and Hanks both, I think. Now, I've heard a lot of Oscar buzz about this movie already. I think they both deserve Oscars. I think he deserves it for uh, Best Actor. I think she deserves it. Definitely, she deserves it for Best Actor. She's just fantastic in this. But the thing is, is I, you know, I'm not sure how much of it she's just making up you know, whole cloth like an actress would, or how much she maybe actually have studied the real person. What worries me is that Hanks will be overlooked because his performance will just be looked at as imitation, like he's just doing an impersonation of Walt. And that shouldn't be overlooked because I don't think that's any small feat to, to bring that character 
that person back to life. But again, like I said, he could have easily just watched a whole bunch of Disney archival footage and been like, okay, got this, nailed it, done that, and collected a paycheck. He, But he didn't. Because the Walt that you see in this movie isn't exactly the one that you would see on the Disneyland show or something like that. He's he's much more fleshed out and, and three-dimensional than that. And I, I really loved that aspect of the movie that you know you won't see Walt blow up at somebody on an old episode of Disneyland but in this movie there were several instances where you saw him get flat exasperated with this woman and I liked that I really liked that and I did not expect to see that in this movie some other uh, standout performance. No, by the way, I, I think that pretty much the the whole cast for this movie was fantastic. But there were certain uh, folks that really stood out to me. Paul Giamatti, who I didn't expect to see in this movie, and it's funny because he's about to be the uh, the Rhino in Spider-Man Two or Amazing Spider-Man Two. I, I he's in this, and I'm. It was just wow, really. And he's, again, fantastic. And his relationship with Emma Thompson's character, that's where the idea first clicked with me, driving Miss Daisy. And I don't want to spoil anything for anyone that hasn't seen the movie, but yeah, that relationship that the two of them have, very much uh, the relationship of, of Miss Daisy and, uh, and uh, Morgan Freeman's character in that movie. But he's fantastic in this. I really, really enjoyed him. Um, some other uh, actors in this that were fantastic. Bradley Whitford, who I always enjoy. I, I always think he's very good. He's uh, he's really good in this one. And then you've got Jason Schwartzman and B.J. Novak as the Sherman brothers, uh, Dick and Bob Sherman. They were very, very good in, as well. And I'm a big fan of the real-life Sherman brothers, and these guys nailed those characters and their relationship both with each other and with Disney and uh, just recreated the, the look and feel of that team of songwriters, and uh, I, I thought they were fantastic. Um, a lot of the movie takes place as flashback sequences flashing back to as you'll learn over the course of the film to Travers's youth and giving us insight into why is she why is she the way that she is and where did this story of Mary Poppins come from but also informs us of her as, as a woman and as a human being of why she is the way she is and ultimately why she's kind of a tragic figure kind of a she's just a very sad person and these flashback sequences fill that in i have to be honest the flashback sequences were my least favorite part of the film but they're probably the most important because they inform you of who the character is and ultimately they provide the emotional payoff at the end of the film but I'm not sure how those sequences are going to play out for repeated viewings. Because I, I can tell you right now, I plan to get this movie the minute it hits Blu-ray. Um, I want this movie in my collection. I think it's great, and I, I plan to watch it often. But the flashback sequences are one of those things where 
I wonder how they're going to, to play on repeated viewings because sitting through them one time, there were several times where I was like doing the little circle with my hand, like, okay, come on, let's get back to, you know, Walt and, and PL Travers. Let's get back to the, the story proper. The score for this movie is fantastic. I'm not a big fan of Thomas Newman. It, it's funny because of the different Newmans that are out there, you know, you've got um, Randy Newman. There's the other Newman who I'm suddenly drawing a blank on that's that's done some really fantastic scores. Uh, the Coneheads comes immediately to mind. Thomas Newman's the one of the three of them that I'm typically very lukewarm with um off the top of my head the uh, score that he did not long ago that i was kind of like eh, that's pretty good was um finding nemo but i find typically in my mind i find the other two humans to be um I, I just generally like them better however this score is really fantastic because it's a very nice blend between um, traditional Disney music, uh, a lot of beats of music that you would hear like in one of the parks or in one of the other, you know, the classic Disney films, especially Mary Poppins, and like 60s lounge jazzy type of music. And it really works well for the, for the movie. I enjoy the score very much. Uh, I recently uh, got a copy and, uh, and I'm listening to it quite a bit. I really enjoy it. And one of the things that really hit me and my, uh, you know, my just geek love for Disney was this Easter eggs galore in this movie, especially toward the end of the film as we're getting closer and closer to the, the actual premiere of Mary Poppins. Now, at the same time in Walt Disney's life, um, you know, 64, you're talking about, you know, the New York World's Fair, and so he was getting geared up for that. So at the same time that they were in final production for... Mary Poppins and the premiere of Mary Poppins and all that, the studios and, and the Walt Disney Company very much involved in creating the classic attractions, the classic Disney attractions that debuted at the New York World's Fair in 1964. So there's several instances where you can see uh, posters and things for it's a small world and you see um, the poster that has the tower of the four winds on it. For example, I saw that and just was totally geeking out because not far from where I was sitting, literally from where I was sitting was the model for the tower of the, the real model for the real tower of the four winds, which, you know, if you ever see the old uh, New York world's fair special, the old Disneyland special, you know, there's there's Walt standing there posed with that model for the Tower of the Four Winds. So again, seeing this in the venue where I saw it just added that extra layer to it for me. I was totally geeking out, and I'm always about movie premieres anywhere whenever I can go to them because if you go to say a, a particular genre or a particular kind of movie where there's a fandom built in and you go to the premiere, that's just always a lot of fun because everybody's jazzed up for it, whether it's you know going to see a Star Trek movie or a Star Wars movie or a comic book movie, or in this case, this is the first one I'd ever gone to a, a Disney movie with a, a crowd of like-minded, you know, Disney, hardcore Disney nerds, so it was just working on that level for me. And I could tell by the audience reaction, it was working for them too. 
Which ultimately brings me to the question I walked away from this movie with at the end of the night, which was, who is this movie for? Who is the intended audience for this movie? Now, I love that the movie's getting really good critical acclaim and uh, and Oscar buzz. And so far as I can tell, it seems like the movie is doing really well. I expect it will do very well because it's a very good movie. But I would really love to know when they made this or when they were planning this out, what, who was the intended audience? Was it... Uh, Mary Poppins fans? Was it hardcore Disney nerds? Was it general audiences? Was it casual Disney fans? Was it children? Because the movie's rated PG-13 for reasons I still don't understand because, you know, to me, PG-13 implies there's something in there that they're not sure kids, you know, should be seeing. I didn't get any of that from this. Um, The language in it is very mild, um, the violence and blood in it is very mild. Um, there's not, I mean, it's, it's no worse than something you would catch, you know, on a, on a TV show or something like that. Um, there's certainly no sex in the movie or anything. So I was a little bit mystified as to that PG 13 rating. I, I'm not, I really couldn't understand why it got that rating. And, but with that rating, I don't know if that will put parents off from taking children, but also I got to be honest. I don't think what a, I don't know what a kid would get out of this movie. I tend to think that a child would probably be kind of bored with it, especially if you, if you took a, a child um, with the expectation of this is more of Mary Poppins. Like if you took a, a say a small girl that, was really enamored of the classic Mary Poppins film. It was like, oh, you know, you love Mary Poppins? Well, let's take you to see this movie. I'm not sure they're going to get anything out of it. I mean, certainly Mary Poppins is is referenced quite often in the movie. And by the way, I can't believe I haven't mentioned this already. I don't know that you necessarily have to be familiar with Mary Poppins or the backstory of, of the characters, uh, you know, or, or Disney or PL Travers or any of that to go and, and see and enjoy this movie. I think it gives you enough of that story so that you don't have to necessarily have, you know, done your homework in that. It probably wouldn't hurt, but I just wanted to point that out because I myself only have kind of a passing familiarity with Mary Poppins. I didn't have time to rewatch the movie before I went to see Saving Mr. Banks. So, you know, and I did just fine with it. So, you know, if you're wondering that, I don't think you necessarily have to have seen that. But again, getting back to that question, who is the film for? I have to be honest with you. I really get the feeling that this movie was made for my people. You know, the, the, the Disney geeks. And I think that's cool. I think that's really neat that, you know, they're they're acknowledging that there are, you know, those people that we're out here and that potentially there's enough of us out here that, that are that passionate and care that much that they could actually invest the kind of money that they invested into making this movie just to target it to us in the hopes that, eh, it'll do well. And like I say, you know, getting an Oscar buzz, doing very well. I think uh, hopefully this will prove that, hey, there is an audience for this, 
which, you know, that could be a very dangerous thing for Disney to do because then they could be accused of, oh, I don't know um, how they would word it, but, you know, something of, you know, mining their own their own history or whatever, you know, pandering or, I don't know, something ugly that they're doing to, you know, to exploit or something to make this movie. And, and that's not it at all. I mean, I don't think that Walt Disney, the, the real person, is in any way exploited making this movie. If anything, um, I think it's it's about time that something like this came out and, and told a story of the real person and that's what I loved most about the movie I thought it was done very very well in that aspect so summing the whole thing up enjoyed it very much give it very high recommendations I really think that uh, that this is a, a really solid movie I think uh, you know if you're looking for a nice date night movie you know you're looking to to get out and you know, get away from the kids for an evening and have an adult movie uh, night type of thing without the children uh i think this is a good one again not that it's something that kids can't enjoy i just don't know that kids would enjoy it Uh, but the movie goes into it's out right now in select markets it goes into general release on december 20th so this coming i think that's this coming friday uh, it will be out there definitely go see it i think you'll really really enjoy it whether you're again whether you're a mary poppins fan you're a tom hanks fan you're an emma thompson fan you're a disney fan whatever the case may be i I think you'll really enjoy the movie um and i would caution you bring a hanky because you're gonna need it there's a couple serious scenes in this movie that'll that'll just break you right down and one of them that uh for me i found myself getting teared up because it was actually it was a really happy moment but that's not the climax of the movie. That was just one moment of the movie where, you know, brought a tear to my eye because it was like, oh, that's that's wonderful. That's really sweet. Um, but the end of the movie, if nothing else, the end of the movie, uh, you know, in the, the particular showing I saw, uh, there was not a dry eye in the place. So just be prepared for that. So after the movie was over, this was really cool. So by the time the movie was over, and we, of course, stayed right to the very end of the credits, and we had to make our way from the theater back to um, essentially the, the front of the park or the beginning of the park. Now, if you're familiar with Disney's Hollywood Studios, then you know that uh, toward the front of the park is the Chinese theater. Now, this is a recreation of the Chinese theater in Hollywood. The uh, I'm not sure what it's called currently these days. I always think of it as uh, Man's Chinese Theater. I'm not sure what it's currently being called. But back in the 60s, when Mary Poppins debuted, it actually made its theatrical debut at the Chinese Theater in Hollywood. So as we made our way through uh, Hollywood Studios, heading to the front of the park. Now keep in mind, by this point, it's midnight-ish. Park's completely empty and dark. Those of us that were there for the premiere were the only people in the entire park. Now, if you've ever had the privilege to be in a Disney park in that sort of environment, you know how cool and a little creepy it is. And it was really neat. Now, I had been in Hollywood Studios um, when it was empty and, you know, just empty prior to opening before but never after closing before so never after dark 
And it was really cool. It was really a thrill for me. I, I just, I like that sort of thing. And, you know, we had started our evening at the studios and Christmas time, you know, for our parks is always just, you know, an extremely busy time. And then with the Osborne lights going and this being a Friday night, the park was packed. So to go from, you know, just elbow to elbow uh, traffic in the parks and then a couple hours later you're walking through and it's just you and a handful of other people. Really weird, really kind of kind of creepy, kind of disconcerting. It was a lot of fun. So as we're making our way from the Premier Theater back to the front of the park, I start seeing in the sky these searchlights are swirling around. I'm thinking, oh, that's cool. I wonder what that's, you know, what's going on with that? I just thought it was neat. As we get up to the front and where the Chinese Theater is, I realize that the searchlights are actually in the Chinese Theater you know, in the front of the Chinese theater. And what they had done was they had rolled out red carpet. They'd set up red velvet ropes and they had set up, um, two different like dioramas. And on one side of the Chinese theater entrance, there was a diorama of the rooftops of London. And the other side was trying to remember, I think it was basically a background for like the jolly holiday sequence of Mary Poppins. So you could get in one of two lines. You couldn't get in both. You could get in one of two lines, and the one, the the rooftops of London, you could get a photo opportunity with Bert and the chimney sweeps from Mary Poppins. The other side, you could get a photograph with uh, Mary Poppins in her Jolly Holiday uh, outfit, and one of the dancing penguins and the uh, the carousel horse that she rode. So, of course, my wife is a huge, huge Mary Poppins fan, and she wanted her picture with Mary Poppins, so we went and we got in line for that. And what they had done was they had staged, essentially, a mini-recreation of the premiere of Mary Poppins at the Chinese Theater. Now, the Chinese Theater at the Disney's Hollywood Studios, just incredibly detailed recreation of the real Chinese theater. I mean, down to the fact that they, they used the actual blueprints and they got as much right in the recreation as they possibly could. There's, you know, there's little differences here and there, but for the most part, that night, especially with the, the searching, sweeping spotlights in the sky and everything, it was cool. It felt like a, a real deal um, movie premiere at the actual uh, Chinese theater. That was really a thrill for us. So she got her picture with, uh, with Mary Poppins and the penguin. And then we just kind of milled around for, we didn't want the evening dance. We were milling around and as luck would happen, uh, uh, Bert, uh, after his line thinned out, cause his line was not near as line as the line, uh, as long as the line for Mary Poppins, uh, began circulating around, so she was actually able to uh, snag a picture with uh, with Bert as well. So she got the best of both worlds. By that point, pushing like one in the morning, so uh, we finally we'd been up for hours, and uh, it had been a very long day, so we had to call it quits. But that was pretty much our day in the parks, and uh, like I say, just a blast, such a such a thrill, such an honor, and uh, I just want to say thanks to anyone from the Disney Parks blogs who may be listening, because we had an absolutely incredible time, and again, really, really loved the movie. Uh, we both thoroughly enjoyed it. My wife uh, uh, had nothing but, but nice things to say about the movie. We both uh, 
really enjoyed it and give it a very high recommendation. So, like I say, get out there and see uh, Saving Mr. Banks. Support the film. I want to see them do more films like this. And uh, we did get to see several movie trailers before the film started, just like uh, at a real uh, theater showing, which I thought was neat. Um, Unfortunately, none of which was for Tomorrowland, which I kind of was hoping that maybe they would sneak one in there, but they didn't. But now that's the next big one that I'm looking for. And I expect that there's going to be... I expect there's going to be some Walt Disney... You know, Walt Disney the man presence in that film as well. So I'm really looking forward to that. I I like what they're doing with this. And uh, I hope they continue to do this sort of thing. I don't see Saving Mr. Banks as a film that you can necessarily make a sequel to. But, wow, I I would pay good money to see Hanks do more... Um, Walt Disney to see Hanks play Walt Disney in more of a uh, more of a, a straight up bio flick of Disney himself because Walt's not not the focus of the movie which is interesting you know that he's a character in the movie but not the character in the movie I think that's very interesting but I would love to see Hanks come back do him again as the character of the movie. I think that could really, really be something. But I've gone on uh, plenty long enough. Um, but if you take nothing else away from this, take away the fact that uh, I thoroughly enjoyed the movie, and uh, and I know you will too. So get out there and support it. Go see Saving Mr. Banks. That's it for now. A Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Yes.